0: this morning. I got about three amens on that one. Uh, There we go. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Hallelujah. I want to go this morning to the book of Nehemiah. To the book of Nehemiah. I'm not going to hold you long, but I do want to release something over your life. I believe, I know we're living in some very interesting times, and, and, and part of my mandate Part of my mission maybe maybe it's more part of my anointing and my assignment is to keep a pulse on what is going on collectively universally in our world and our nation and things like that and also in the local church and try to push the church and drive the church in a particular direction so that the blessings of the lord can fall in our land and i believe i believe what god wants to do and i believe i believe today i've got at least the beginning stages of a word that I believe will speak to us about our lives. It'll speak to us individually, but I also believe it'll speak to us corporately, and I also believe it'll speak to us on what we need to be doing as believers living in the world where a nation needs revival. I don't know about you, but our nation needs revival. Our nation needs needs a revival I mean when you can sit there and just watch on the news we saw it all on Tuesday where a gunman can just walk into a school nearly unopposed and just kill 19 21 kids uh, 19 kids and two adults and just the evil that's portrayed out of that it it, it doesn't matter if you got mental issues or what it don't don't matter none of that matters to me it's fact that it's demonically driven and, 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 the, and the only way that you can defeat demonic activity is for the church to come in revival. It's the only way you can do it. It's the only way. It's the only way. There, there, there's no other solution. You can't medicate people. You can't, you can't put people through counseling and therapy. None of that, none of that will change the heart of mankind. It takes a birth of God in a person. And that's why I believe our nation is in need of revival. And I believe I got something today that I believe we're just going to push on those boundaries a little bit. I know it's a holiday weekend and most of us are probably already there. But how many can just give me a few more minutes left in here and let's just go for what God has to do in here. Amen. Okay, so let's jump in here to Nehemiah. And I'm going to skip around and read read quite a bit here because I want to make sure you get the foundation and the backdrop of what's going on in this particular time period. Nehemiah chapter 2 beginning in verse number 11 and so I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days and I arose in the night I and a few men with me and I did not tell anyone what God was putting in into my mind to do for Jerusalem and there was no animal with me except the animal in which I was riding so I went out at night by the now these these next few verses these these next Verses here are going to be really, really critical because I want to draw attention back to these. I want you to notice all these gates and wells. So I went out by night by the valley gate in the direction of Dragon's Well, onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no place for my mount or my animal to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. And then I entered the valley gate again and I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had, 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 I, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests and the nobles and the officials or the rest who did the work. Verse number 17. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation that we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come and let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Verse number 18. And I told them how the hand of God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then I said, let us arise and build... So they put their hands to do the good work. Notice he said, let us arise and build. And they put their hands to do the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it, they mocked us and they despised us. And they said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, or right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Now, just jump over to chapter four. Just continuing, continuing in the narrative here, the dialogue. Chapter four, verse number one. Now, it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry, and he began to mock the Jews. How I many you know the enemy is never going to be happy with your progress? And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, and he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifice? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, it would break down their stone wall." Verse number four, he says, hear, O Lord, this is him praying, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. I'm telling you, Nehemiah is about to push something back on his enemies right here. Now now look with me in verse number 14, just skipping around a little bit. This is Nehemiah talking again. He says, and when I saw their fear. I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And he said, do not be afraid of them. Never be afraid of an enemy that God has authority over. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And look at his commandment. He said, fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. And fight for your houses. Man, what a command!" I'm telling you, if every Christian would just grab that verse, fight for your mothers, fight for your fathers, fight for your brothers, fight for your wives, fight for your children. If every Christian would just grab that command alone, I'm telling you, we would revolutionize our world. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, and then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his own Work. Now, let's just go to chapter 6, and we're going to finish right here. Chapter 6, verse number 1. And then and it was reported to Samballot, Tobiah, and to Geshem, and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at a time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Then Samballot and Geshem sent message to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in Cheparum in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Then he sent messages to four four times, to me, four times in this manner, and I answered him in the same way. In other words, I kept telling him, I'm doing a good work. And I'm not coming down to entertain your craziness. When the church understands we're doing the good work, we don't have time to entertain the craziness of the devil. We just keep doing the good work. We're going to see something happen. Now, look with me in verse number 15, and we'll quit right here. Number fi- verse number 15. So the wall was completed in, in the 52 month of Ilu, which is in 52 days. He completed the wall in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, And all the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, all the way back to chapter 2, I want to draw this verse to your attention. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Verse number 17. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in? Jerusalem is desolate and its gates have been burned by fire. But let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and no longer be a reproach. Notice what he said. He see, you can see we're in a bad situation. I started last Sunday. I called last Sunday's message, Messy Miracles. I believe God has got miracles for his people, but they, look, they may look messy right now. But there's a miracle in the mess. But I want to subtitle this this morning as I get ready to preach it to you. I just subtitled it, It's Time for a Revolution. Come on, it's time for a revolution. I'm not trying to use churchy words like revival. I'm just going to use the word revolution. Push on somebody around you. Tell them we need a revolution in our day. Come on, will you just tell them we need a revolution in our day? Father, we thank you this morning for what you're going to do. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Thank you for the next few moments as we surround and gravitate around the table of your word. Lord, I thank you today for this, for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge that will flow fr- freely. Let it flow unhindered today in the lives of your people. Lord, we give you praise and glory for all that you're going to do now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you this morning. You may be seated. In our text this morning, we find where Nehemiah has just returned Just went back to Jerusalem after hearing about the news of his city. And upon his arrival in the city, he sees and becomes this uh, hands on personal witness of a devastating impact that had left, that was left by the Babylonians. When the Babylonians had had invaded Jerusalem there, he could see the devastating impact that was left by the Babylonians that literally had brought the entire city to its ruin. And Nehemiah is walking through the city and he's surveying the damage. He's walking through the city and he's checking out everything that has been totally decimated, burned, destroyed, or whatever. He's walking through it and he sees the distress of the people and he sees and he begins to take inventory of the level of devastation and the living conditions of that entire nation, that entire city at that time. And he begins to see the hopelessness of the people that are within the walls, the remaining walls, what's left, what's not been burned by fire. He begins to see the devastation of the people within that city and he begins to say, it's a bad situation. It's a bad situation in my nation. It's a bad situation situation in my city it's a bad situation in the holy city jerusalem so now nehemiah he's walking through the destruction of 142 years of destruction that's how long that city has laid in ruin it's been laying there in ruin for 142 years and he's walking through the midst of that destruction and he's praying and he's seeking god for a word over his city. And right in the middle of the mess, right in the middle of the reproach, right in the middle, in the height of their distress, right at the place or the heart of destruction, God begins to give Nehemiah a plan to restore God's glory back into the nation. God begins to speak to Nehemiah about how he has a plan to restore the entire city and bring hope and healing back to an entire nation. God begins to speak to Nehemiah. God begins to give Nehemiah a plan. God begins to give Nehemiah a plan that would take Jerusalem out of 142 years of destruction to a place of restoration in just 52 days. I'm just trying to tell you, when God gets ready to do something, It won't take near as long to do it as it has been lying in ruin. It's been laying in ruin for 142 years, but God gives Nehemiah a plan, and Nehemiah begins to work that plan. He begins to obey God in the midst of the mess. In the mess, there's always a miracle. In the midst of a bad situation, God is still speaking. In the midst of everything that is going on that is contrary To the way we want the outcome, God is still moving. So he understands that the walls now have been lying there in ruin for 142 years, but God was about to revive them. God was about to restore them in just 52 days. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning or you're watching us online or however you're catching this message. Maybe you're sitting there... And there are some people maybe here today, you may feel like an invading enemy has come against your life, and it's left some things in ruin. But you need to know today that God is able to revive the ruined places. God is able to restore the ruined places, and He can do it quickly. God can overturn the approach of the enemy against your life, and He can do it speedily. The walls were destroyed the gates have been burned by fire, and it was a place of utter devastation. I'm trying to preach prophetically to you this morning that it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. God is never finished with his people on the inside. It doesn't matter what our nation looks like. It doesn't matter how much our world is shaking apart. God still has a plan for his remnant God still has a plan for cities. God still has a plan for homes. Come on, talk to me. God still has a plan for families. Right in the midst of devastation, right in the midst of 142 years of utter Devastation. God is speaking to Nehemiah and says, we're going to revive this thing. We're going to restore this thing. I came here to tell somebody, in the midst of your craziness, in the midst of all the things that look like have been burned over in your life, God still has a word for the mess in your life. God still has a word for the craziness in your life. And it don't matter how far it's been gone, God is still in the business of reviving something. This will be on the screen for you. A place... Of devastation is merely an invitation for the power and the manifestation of His Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Right in the middle of a bad situation, right in the middle of a mess, God was about to work a miracle. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like preaching this if you'll jump on board with me. I'm telling you, the days of signs and wonders and miracles are not over in the body of Christ. God still wants to perform some miracles. God still wants to do something beyond the logic of humanity. God still wants to work His plan. God still wants to work His agenda in the midst of all the craziness that we see going on. Life cannot get so bad where God cannot be good. It doesn't matter what it's going through, what, what you see, what's happening around you. It doesn't matter what's happening in our world and in our nation. It doesn't matter what we see with our natural eyes. What matters the most is what are we hearing from God in the midst of the bad. I can be in the midst of the bad, but God is still speaking to me. Nothing can never get too late for God. It wasn't too late for Abraham and Sarah to have babies. (laughs) At 100 years old and 90 years old, cranking out babies. (laughs) Glory to God. What a blessing. Ain't no women said amen on that one. It can never get too late for God. Jonah finds himself in the belly of a whale. On the third day, Jonah begins to realize this ain't where I need to be. And you read the Bible in the, in the account of Jonah in chapter 2. And the Bible says, and Jonah turned and he put his face towards the temple of God. And he began to cry out and repent. And you, need to, you read the next verses later. And the well threw him up. The well vomited him out on land right at the place where he needed to be. Because it's never too late for God. It's never too late for God. It wasn't too late for God in Ezekiel's dry bones. That's right. Come on, talk to me up Come in on. here, church. It's never too late for God. You can be walking through a bleached out, scattered out, massive bones, but when God begins to breathe on it, when God begins to hover over it, when God begins to release life over it, everything that has been scattered, everything that has been disconnected, come on, you got some family members that are disconnected. By the time God gets through breathing on those bones that have been disconnected, they're going to begin to line up and they're going to stand on their feet as an exceedingly great army because whatever God has started he's faithful to finish it it's never too late it's never too late it wasn't too late for blind Bartimaeus it wasn't too late for Jairus's daughter it wasn't too late for Lazarus it's never too late for God God can take a mess and turn it into a miracle our records indicate and it records we read it this morning in the narrative that when Nehemiah came to the city, he began to go through these series of gates and doors and pools. And the Bible says, and he came first to the valley gate. Now, there's going to be some significance here, so just kind of track with me for a moment. He came to the valley gate. The valley gate represents to us the assurance of our salvation. This is, what, this is how it contexts us over into the New Testament. It means that we are free from our past. That'll be on the screen for you guys. That should be on the screen. I just read that. It's the valley gate. That'll be on the screen. The second place that he came to was Dragon's Well. Dragon's Well represents to, represents to us our dominion over the devil. He stand, the devil stands to condemn us, and he stands to hold us in contempt, and he stands to bring accusations against us. But when, 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 when Nehemiah was coming through Dragon's Well, he was letting the devil know, you can't stop the movement of God in my life. From there, he went to the refuse gate or the dung gate. It represents to us our confession to be cleansed. In that particular time period, all the cities, all the cities dumped, their refuge, their dung, would flow throughout that, through that, that one gate. And God was saying to us, God will bring sin to light so that the blood of Jesus can flush it out of our lives. Understand, now just track with me. Then he came to the fountain gate. The fountain gate represents to us the Word of God. The gate was used to get a daily supply of water out from the Kidron Valley. That's what the fountain gate was, implying that you need a daily diet of God's Word. Come on, you got to have a daily diet of God's Word. You will not survive this end-time warfare on intellect. You're not going to survive this end-time warfare on just your good degree that you got in education. It's going to take a move of the Holy Spirit breathing on the Word of God that you're implanting into your spirit. It's what you're putting into your heart. Any believer in this end time day that we're living in that is not taking counsel with the Word of God, that's not putting the Word of God in their hearts, you're going to be a casualty in the midst of the warfare. you got to have a daily diet of God's Word. This is not something that we do on Sunday morning. The daily diet, you need to engage your life into the Word of God. And then he came to the king's pool. The king's pool represents to us the flow of the Holy Spirit. How many know that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled to the whole, with the Holy Ghost. There ought to be a day, not a day in your life where you're not speaking in tongues. Come on, talk to me up in here. You ought to wake up in your every morning in your life going Shekha, Tekka. You ought to begin to release the word of the Lord out of your spirit. So all these things now, as you begin to join them and come together, it begins to speak to us about the message how God brings restoration. And God begins to save us from our past. That's the valley gate. And then we have dominion over the enemy because we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. That's dragon's well. And then our confession begins to line up with the agreement of God's Word. That's the refuse gate. And then there's a daily diet of God's Word that's working in my heart. That's the fountain gate. And then every single day of my life, there is a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit in my life, and that's the king's pool. There ought to be a fresh flow of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I thought I was in a Holy Ghost church. I must not be. There ought to be a fresh flow of the Holy Ghost. you, You can't even talk about revival without a move of the Holy Ghost. You can't talk about an outpouring without a move of the Holy Ghost. You can't talk about rivers to swim in without a move of the Holy Ghost. Every believer under the sound of my breath ought to be filled with the Holy Ghost and overflowing because he gives you power. He gives you power against the powers of hell. Push on somebody and tell them we need a revolution now. Come on, tell them we need a revolution. I'm about to get to where I'm going. Just hang out with me. There's a generation of believers that's rising now that has what I believe the capacity to stand in the midst of destruction There's a generation that's rising, I believe, right here in America. I don't believe that the church is getting weaker. I'm prophesying I believe it's going to get stronger. I believe there's a generation, there's a remnant of people who are saying, God, there's got to be more. God, we have to see more. My children have to experience more than what I've ever seen. And I believe God is raising people up. In the midst of all the ruin. In all the midst of all the destruction. Numbers 2319 That will be on the screen. For God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of a man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will. Come on, talk to me. He will bring it to pass. God is at work in the lives of his church. He's at work. In the midst of the craziness. I stood here on Friday. Doing a funeral for a, a dear friend of mine, I grew up together. I know Jeff was good friends with him. Dwayne was good friends with him. We all, we all were just good friends. We all knew him. And, his, and I watched the whole humanity of people out here, just a sea of people, and, and people were hurting. And obviously, when you lose a loved one, there's, there's hurt there. There's a loss. There's a sense of separation. But the, it, it really hurts when you have no hope. It really it really hurts when you have no future expectation of a better end. It really begins to hurt you. And I'm looking at a sea of humanity of people. This building was packed in chairs put all the way back to the wall. And I'm looking at people who are hurting on the inside because most of them do not have a walk with the Lord. Most of them do not have an ongoing presence with God in their life. And what I'm trying to tell you ladies and gentlemen, our whole world is like that. That's why we need the church to be strong. That's why we need the church to have a word. The world can't fix the problems. The world can't fix the hate. We need a body of believers who can stand in the middle of devastation and say, this is what the Lord is saying. This is what God wants to do. And you bring hope. You bring comfort. You bring a sense of a greater end. It's the power of God at work in people's lives. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand today we're not just in life to get by. We are in life to make an impact. We are on this journey to do something great for the glory of God. We're not here just to punch in our little spiritual clock and say, well, we went to church today. No, we are here to make sure that when we gather there's power. When we sing, there's power. When we begin to pray, there's power. When we lay hands on people, there's power. But then I take the same power on Sunday and I work it on Monday. I work it on Tuesday. I work it on Wednesday because the same power works every day of the week, like it does on Sunday. God is looking for a remnant. Come on, God's looking for some people that understand that I'm not just here. Nehemiah could. Nehemiah was living in the king's palace. Nehemiah had a good life, other than having to taste the point, make sure nothing was poisoned. <laughs> He was living a pretty good life. He was right next to the king. He didn't have to worry about food or shelter. He was living a good life. But when he began to survey the damage of the holy city, when he began to look at his nation, if we would have read it in chapter 1, Nehemiah was weeping For his nation. He was weeping for what the destruction had brought to his nation. We need a church that wants to weep for the destruction that's going on. So we can bring change to it. Until you cry out. Until you pray it out. There is no change that will ever take place. Quit fussing and griping about what you're not praying about. We have no right to fuss. We have no right to complain that we don't engage in. Amen. Amen. So here it is now. Nehemiah's got all this going on. He's, he's got a heart. He's concerned. He's concerned about his city. And I believe the church has arrived. I believe we have. I believe we have. Because we, we've had so much chaos and so much unrest and so much upheaval in the last couple years. I believe the church is tired of it. Maybe not everybody, but I believe there's a lot of us that's tired of it. I'm tired of what the devil thinks he can do to my family. I'm tired of what the devil thinks he can do to my city. I'm tired of what the devil thinks he can do to my nation. As long as I'm here, the devil's got to know he's got a fight on his hands. That's right. He's got a fight. You, Jesus. Nehemiah looks at all the naysayers. Nehemiah looks at all the negative people. And he says, I ain't coming down. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, I ain't coming off my post. I'm not coming off my assignment. What God has commissioned me to do is greater than dialoguing in your crazy pettiness. Hallelujah. Air condition working good today. Can't keep up with my notes. It's like the Lord saying, hurry, blow it over, blow it over. <laughs> it's got to be something that happens inwardly in God's people that says, we refuse to move away from the very reason why we were commissioned to stay. We have to be committed to seeing the hand of God move. I can't just push it off to another generation who barely knows Him. I can't push it off to a generation who wants to sleep in bed till noon. Work ethic right now. There's, there's, there's got to be some mothers there's got to be some fathers there's got to be some granddaddies and grandmas there's got to be some seasoned saints who knows what it is to stand in the gap and say I'm crying out for my nation I'm crying out for my family I'm going to fight for my brothers I'm going to fight for my sisters I'm going to fight for my family members there's got to be somebody on the planet that begins to recognize it's a bad situation but God is not finished God's not through God is still at work, even in the midst of the craziness. The church has arrived at, that, at this moment. Babylon now. Babylon, this is where they were all held captive. Babylon has a long history in Scripture at being at odds with God. Nebuchadnezzar, who had come in and destroyed Jerusalem, he has conquered most of the known world at that time. And he takes Jerusalem and he burns its temple burns its gates, and he takes the people captive. This is where I'm about to go. He takes the people captive. Nebuchadnezzar is a different kind of king now. He's not, he's not like all the other kings, and Babylon is a different kind of an empire. It's not like the other empires. The other empires, like the Syrians, they would skin their captives alive. In, in other empires, the Persian Empire... They were known for crucifying their people. But Babylon was a different kind of kingdom. Babylon was a kingdom that would brainwash its captives. Babylon was the kind of an empire that would bring their captives in and mix them into the culture. Babylon would destroy a city, destroy a nation, take captive the people... Bring them into a Babylonian culture, brainwash them, and give them place in the culture. Nebuchadnezzar captures God's people and he brings them in. He doesn't kill them, he brings them in and he mixes them with the culture. He begins to change their names, he begins to change their garments, and he begins to change their diets. He removes from them every remembrance of God. He removes them every remembrance connected to the Jehovah God that they worship and they serve. And he captures this. is You can find this in the book of Daniel. He captures this entire generation of young people, people that were gifted, good looking, and he brings all of them to himself. Nebuchadnezzar does. And he begins to mold them. And he trains the the best and the brightest in order to influence the culture. Tell me our universities ain't doing that today. Tell me that's not what our universities are doing today. Most of our universities are filled with liberal professors who hate God and who hate America. And we will send our children right off to university. Am I saying this wrong? I'm just saying you better make sure your kids are grounded. You better make sure when you send your kids off, they're going in there as a Shadrach, a Meshach, and a Bendigo. You better make sure they step off into a college campus knowing that that culture cannot influence me in a wrong direction. You better make sure. I know this ain't popular preaching. We'll just probably get banned again, but I don't care. The truth is more important than popularity. And we got to make sure, ladies and gentlemen, that the, the movements of God don't die off in a generation. we got to make sure that no matter what the mess is, God still has a remnant. Even if they're living in Babylon, God still has a remnant of people who will not bow their knee. We've got to make sure of those things. So Nebuchadnezzar captures all these people. Babylon is symbolic of the world system. That's what Babylon is. Babylon exists all the way through the book to to the book of Revelation. And then when you read about it in the New Testament, it becomes the spirit of the age. So Babylon is different than all these other empires. Babylon is different from Egypt. Egypt would bring you into bondage and make you work as a slave. Egypt would bring you into bondage... And physically make you work as a slave. Babylon would bring you in physically, but change your mind. Because Babylon is the imprisonment of the mind. In fact, this will be on the screen. Babylon literally means confusion, it's the captivity of the mind. That's what Babylon is. It's the captivity of the mind. Babylon is a system that deals with economics, it deals with imagery. It deals with politics. It deals with the arts. It's a system designed to buy you out. That's the world we live in. It's the world we live in. Babylon will pay you to be silent. Babylon will pay you to comply. Come on, is that not the world we're living in today? Huh? How many know that all, I'm not saying all the politicians, but a lot of the politicians have been bought. A lot of the politicians have been bought. And I don't care if you like that or not. I'm telling it's on both sides of the aisle, so don't just get mad at me. Get mad with the get mad with the system. And a lot of them have been bought on, on the right side and the left side. And that's what Babylon it buys your silence. As long as you don't say nothing, we'll make sure you got some money. It pays you to comply, it pays you to compromise. Because it works. In your mind. It begins to work in your head. It begins to make you move in directions. Though you are Hebrew. Though you are a Jew. You get caught up in a Babylonian system. You used to not think like that as a Jew. But now you're over here in a system. And now you think differently than the way you were brought up. Now your mind begins to take a radical shift. And that's, the, that's why you have to be careful about this world. Jesus makes it plain. He said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Hallelujah. You're in it, but you're not of it. In other words, you, you're in the world not to be like the world, but to influence for the greater good. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, but I'm going to keep right on working because I'm going to be off tomorrow. I'm going to hunt something maybe. Every hog I see reminds me of a demon. I'll take great pleasure in killing hogs. If that offends you, I'm sorry. Hope you get a zoo. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Babylon buys you out. And you can only be bought out if you're for sale. Come on. Come on, brother. You can only be bought That's right. if you're for sale. If you're a businessman, If you got a price, somebody will pay it. If you sell out your morals, if you sell out your integrity, if you sell out your character for another dollar, somebody will give it to you. If you're a young person fighting to keep your virginity, somebody will pay the price to talk you out of losing it. Jeremiah comes along. They're living in captivity. Jeremiah comes along and he begins to prophesy. The word of the Lord. He says you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But then you're going to come out. But the influence of Babylon. After he prophesied that. And they were able to leave under the first wave. Under Ezra. And then they came under uh, uh, the, 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 the other guys. And, and the, finally you get to Nehemiah. The, 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 the prophecy was true. But, but, the, but the culture was so strong. The, the culture was so tightly gripped on the people of God. Here they are living in a Babylonian culture for 70 years with no glory. 70 years content to have no worship. Content not to celebrate any of the feasts. And when they were when they were released under that first wave of Ezra, only a small remnant actually went back. Because you can become so culturalized to the culture that you're living in that even when you have freedom to go back, your mind is still trapped in a system that won't let you go back. That's the danger that we have as Americans living in the greatest nation on the planet. But I want to tell you something. This gospel is bigger than the American America that we live in. And if we're not careful, we just think America. I'm trying to say it without hurting nobody's feelings. I probably already have, so. We get so locked in to our God-given rights. We get so locked in to party lines. We get so, we get so locked in to the, to the divisiveness that's going on in our nation as if the church has to take a side. Let me tell you something. Truth is a side. Yeah, that's right. We don't take sides. We are the side. And everything around us has to get on the side of the truth. That's right. the truth. So Jeremiah right. prophesies. You can go back after 70 years. Only a handful went back. Here's the issue. Y'all doing all right? I'm really preaching hard. I'm sweating hard up here. Our problem is not spiritual. I mean, our problem is spiritual because we have become so culturalized in Babylon, the systems of the world for so long, that now we don't even fight for the glory. Most of our churches, if we're not careful, we don't even fight for the move of God. Most people come to church looking at their watch, can't wait to get out. And if it's like that on a Sunday morning, I can't imagine what your life is like Monday through Saturday. If you can't give God just a couple hours on Sunday, and I'm not talking to y'all, y'all here. I'm just, This is for everybody that's listening. If you can't just give God a couple hours on a Sunday morning, I know your prayer life is not good. I know your worship life is not good. I know your perspective, or your perspective of God is not where it needs to be. Because we become so culturalized that we dial God down to a Sunday morning. (sighs) Oh, Lord, I feel like preaching. I wish I had somebody to preach to today. Oh, my Lord. But in the midst of all that, we have to learn how to challenge the dominant belief system of the culture. Because here's the way it works. Whatever you stay in agreement with, you don't change. Right? Whatever you stay in agreement with, you don't change. I was talking to some guys the other day, talking about people who just trying to believe God maybe for their healing. Well, if you believe in God for healing, don't let, another, don't let another word outside of healing come out of your mouth. Because what you do is you give license to agreement to that. How many know that everything outside of the word of God is inferior to the word of god that's why romans 12 says you got to get your mind renewed not removed renewed renewed if the mind wasn't important it wouldn't be worth renewing But evidently, God puts a high value on the mind. That's why he said, your mind, Romans 12, your mind has to be renewed, verse 2, so that you can prove what is the acceptable or the perfect will of God. You don't know what the will of God is when you're thinking like the world. And you got to know this, according to Romans chapter 8, a renewed mind is always hostile, or an unrenewed mind. Let me put it that way. An unrenewed mind is always hostile against God. When your mind is not renewed, you're always arguing with God. And just, just if you want some historical references, your argument will not win in the end. God will let your bones bleach out in the middle of a desert. It won't think nothing of it. You can argue with God all you want to. God is not going to change his mind about his word. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you, Jesus. I feel so much liberty in here today. A renewed mind is what God uses to demonstrate his plan. You can't get a plan. You can't work the purposes of God without a renewed mind. And you got to know that the renewed mind is what the Lord comes after every day in our hearts. In fact, it's through the renewed mind that puts the boundaries for faith. Faith is it puts the context for faith to work in. If your mind doesn't get renewed, it's hard for you to release faith. Because without a renewed mind, you think it's got to be done on strength, human strength, human power, human might. You, you think you think you got to muscle it in there. That's 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 what the world thinks. But a renewed mind is a surrendered mind. A renewed mind is a surrendered mind to God. So my affections towards the things of God stays close. I just, I'm just giving my personal witness here. Every day of my life, I want to be closer to God. I don't want to just wake up and have Him distant. And it's not every awakening moment I'm thinking about God. That, would, that, that, that wouldn't be true. But many moments throughout the day, I'm thinking about God. I can be talking to somebody. Jeff and I can be talking about honey. And something can come up in my spirit and makes me put my attention back on that. You can be working your job. And your mind can move in the direction of God. I'm learning something in the process of my own maturity and development in the things of God. Every night that I go to bed, when I lay my head on the pillow, the last thing I say to God is, God, I, I set my affections on you. I'm putting my mind, instruct my sleep in my midnight hours. I'm putting my mind on the things of God. Karen can tell you this, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying to brag on me. I'm just saying I'm just, this is the power of God's word. I don't care what the mess is or the chaos is. I can go to sleep. I don't take sleeping pills. <laughs> and I'm not saying if you do, it's wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just saying I have learned how to work this word to the point that I want my logic to be his logic. And I got pressure like y'all got pressure. Stand up in here in front of a bunch of people preaching a funeral. There ain't no faith. That's pressure. That's pressure. Trying to make financial decisions when people don't want to tithe. That's pressure. (laughs) Trying to pay bills. When old crazy Larry Joe over there ain't paying nothing. Y'all just got offended because I called out Larry Joe, and I hope they ain't a Larry. 42 years of death and destruction, but God gave him a plan because his mind was not on what he saw. His mind was on the Lord. So I believe this. Here we go now. I'm going to wrap it up right here. Faith then, I mean, uh, that faith is not a head issue. Faith is a heart issue. For with the heart, man believes. And confession is made unto salvation, right? So, 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 so faith doesn't come from my mind. It comes from my heart. So then faith, my faith, is not intellectual. But the renewed mind creates the context for faith to work in. It's like the banks of a river. The banks of a river create the context for the river to flow in. If you didn't have the banks, you'd have a flood. But the banks drive the river to a particular destination. So, so, so that's what faith is. Faith, faith is the context of my renewed mind. So now that I'm thinking like God, now I got faith to apprehend it. Woo! Oh my Ooh, yeah. Lord! I was waiting on a baby on that one to be tossed at me, but it's all right. Okay, all right, here we go. Y- 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 y'all look like you're ready for Memorial Day. I guess it is. It's twelve o'clock. Come on, Pastor. Paul. I better. I got I, I saw. I, 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 I'm landing. I didn't even realize it was 12 o'clock. I, I lost time. I'm sorry. I lost time. Here, 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 here. Somebody say a revolution. Revolution. That's, that, maybe, that's, maybe that's a better word. Revolution. A revolution means to effect radical change. It's a momentous or complete change in ideas or practices. It's a forcible overthrow of social order in favor of a new system. That's what a revolution is. Somebody shout overthrow. The climate of our world is pregnant for a revolution. But I want it to be a revolution of God. Our problem, as we've been saying, is not economics. Our problem is not politics. And it doesn't mean those people occupying those places are not important because they are. They are important. We're seeing the destruction of craziness right now because they are important but there's no one in office or who will ever be in office that can fix our problems i don't i don't want to make you too mad because we're about to go and celebrate a holiday here but who can you vote in office to change the heart of a man from killing kids when he wants to there ain't a politician alive that can change the heart of a man from shooting kids at an elementary school. Who can you vote into office that'll change a young woman's mind about terminating her pregnancy? I don't care how many laws you have. That does not fix the problem of humanity. Who can you put in position of power that's going to cause a man to love his wife and not leave his wife for another man. Ain't going to happen. It will not happen. Because here's the way it is, ladies and gentlemen. Who can you look to that can solve it or fix it? Just hear hear my heart today. Laws and legislations are not the problem. It's beyond that. This will be on the screen if you're taking notes. You can't eradicate evil with legislation. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. Just hold off on for the music, Pastor Porter. I don't want to lose nobody right there. Stop playing. Everybody just like, okay. You got to hear this today. We're living in a messed up system. And if we think some politician, And it's not wrong for the good ones to be there because we need them. But what's being perpetrated to a culture is lies. And you cannot eradicate evil with more laws. It will not happen. It's going to take a born-again, spirit-filled, radical-living people of God When husbands love their wives, wives love their husbands, children are being raised. Children are being taught the ways of God early on. Because our problem is spiritual. And we have to be careful that when we sit in Babylon for so long, we start thinking like Babylon. I'm so grateful that even though Nehemiah had a, prestige position in Babylon was not thinking like Babylon. He had a heart for his nation. And he began to move in that direction and began to ask God for a plan. Because how many know that it's the truth that sets people free? And when you demonize truth, all you do is normalize violence. When truth has been demonized, then all you have done is normalize violence. That's why every believer ought to have truth in their lips and speak it and declare it and press it into the next generation. Amen? That's how you begin revolutions. That's how you begin to start movements of God. That's how you begin to turn the powers of hell. That's what we read in 52 days. The enemy saw that the work had been completed and the enemy lost heart. I'm ready for the enemies to lose heart. Amen. I'm ready for the enemy. Come on, you can stand to your feet. I'm ready for the enemies to lose heart. I got some, I got like three powerful points here, but I'm not going to give them to you today. That releases something over your lives. And it, I'm telling you, I, I, I wish I really do. I wish I had time. I wish I had time. Because this would set you free today, but but, but it's okay. We'll, we'll catch up with it later. But I believe you can go ahead, Pastor Porter. We can play. I believe, I believe right here, right here. I, 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 listen, y'all know me. I press until I see breakthrough. I'm not intimidated by people's lethargicness. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to preach the word of the Lord. I'm here to make sure that if something gets burned into our spirits because we're living in a day, I got a grandbaby right there. We're living in a day that if this generation does not move the things of God a little bit further down the road, that generation's in trouble. That generation is in trouble. That's why as the people of God, we can't just have there's 52 Sundays in a year. You just can't have like three good Sundays and call it, well, we got a move of God. Here's my take on it. Every time we gather ought to be powerful. Every time we come together ought to have 52 power-packed services. It don't matter if it's a day before a holiday or the day after a holiday. We ought to be so hungry for the things of God that we'll tear our seat apart just to praise Him. Because God begins to move us, and that's what it took with Nehemiah. Nehemiah looked at, he surveyed, he began to take inventory of all the destruction laying there for 142 years. He's looking at the destruction of 142 years, but God's downloaded inside of him a plan. He said, Nehemiah, I won't give you a plan. Nehemiah, I won't give you a plan. You can't be distracted. You can't be destroyed. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't look at the Samballot, the Tobias, you can't look at Geshem, the Arab, you can't look at all these guys because there's always going to be hindrance, there's always going to be opposition to the mission and we didn't take time to read it, I quoted it but Nehemiah gets to that place he gets to that place, he looks back at, at the Jews who are scared now because of the threats of the enemy and one of the reasons why the enemy threatens you, because he wants you to change your confession. I can prove that in Nehemiah. If we had time to look at it, I'd I'd prove it to you. Because the enemy came to him on four different times right after he confessed something. The enemy threatens you with your confession. And the moment you give in to the enemy's threat, you lose your confession. Nehemiah kept saying, we're doing a good work. It may not look much right now, but we're doing a good work. And I ain't got time to come down and play your silly games. I don't have time to engage in your silly little arguments. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep winning people to Jesus. I'm just going to keep praying for people. Somebody's sick, we're going to pray over the sick. Somebody needs a healing, we're going to believe God for healing. We're just going to keep doing what we do. We're going to keep building the wall, and we're going to keep fighting for our families. We're going to keep fighting for our children. Come on, we're going to keep fighting for our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers. We're going to keep fighting until we see a breakthrough. Yeah. That's what we do. My mom, my mom sent me a, my mom don't just give me a one-liner text. She sends me a book. My mom sent me a book yesterday or whenever it was. Just It's, it's like a novel. Like you got to sit down and read it. But in the midst of that, she's just preaching to me. She's just revealing her heart, and it's always so powerful, and it's always so profound. But she said something in there, and it just, like, it gripped my heart. I mean, it's like, I, I like, pushed my chair back away from my desk, said, oh, how true is that? And she was talking about our family, and she, she said to me, somewhere in the scope of that journey, she said, we want our families to be in our future. Man, I thought about that. And I'm not just talking about on this planet. I want to make sure my family gets to heaven. I want my family in my future. So you know why we have to fight? You know why we got to build? Because we got to make sure our family makes it. We need our family in heaven with us. Yes, yes. It's not just enough to get up and make some money go to school, get an education we gotta make sure that we're living out the life of Christ in the midst of a hostile culture so that our family makes it to heaven so that our family is in our future I'm not responsible for the world, I am responsible for my family and so are you so are you So are you. You are responsible for your family. It's not the preacher's responsibility. It's not the children's church responsibility. It's not the youth worker's responsibility. It is your responsibility to make sure they don't die in Babylon. We need a revolution. Come on, who's ready for a revolution? Who's ready to see God turn it? Come on, if you believe that, give him a shout one time. Hallelujah. Give him a praise one time. Let a revolution begin. Let it begin in my generation. Let it begin in my day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I feel something right there. Come on, just give him praise for about 30 seconds. Come on, stir it up. Come on, Nehemiah. Fight. Fight, Nehemiah. Build and battle, Nehemiah. It's worth it. 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 it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I just feel that. I feel that. I know we got to go, but boy, I feel that. God's just penetrating His Word into the depth and the recesses of our own hearts. It's more. Church as usual will not cut it in this hour. Too much is at stake. The enemy is not even hidden in his agenda like he used to be. The enemy used to hide behind laws that were protecting, but now they're making laws to protect him. It's, it's, it's not hidden agendas. It's just right in our face. It's just right there. Babylon is saying, just be quiet about it. Don't make no noise. I don't know if it's true. Karen told me right before I got ready to preach. She said we had praise and worship on Facebook, but she said maybe it looked like they were trying to ban it. I don't know where that news came from, but we probably will get banned. But I don't care. I'm not, this ain't a this ain't a beauty contest. Come on, Esther. This ain't a beauty contest. And if I die, I die. Pressing. Pressing Everything Is at stake And everything matters In Chapter 6 of Verse number 13 They begin to hire people Hire people To come against them There are people that are being paid To keep you silent That's why you got to get beyond The aisles of Democrats And Republicans you got to get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on him. Because the solution, the solution to our problems is grounded in the spiritual roots of where we're at today. And a revolution begins to affect change for something great. Amen. Come on all over the building. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we love you today. Lord, it's messy. Everything around us is a mess. Lord, my family's a mess. Maybe my life is a mess. My children are a mess. My nation is a mess. But just like the enemy did in the days of Nehemiah, he overplayed his hand. He overexposed himself until the purposes of God literally overtook him and the enemy lost heart. God, I prophesy over us today that the enemy's going to lose heart. The enemy's plans are going to be thwarted. The enemy's plans are going to be scrambled. The enemy's plans are going to come right back into confusion to his own camp because the church is rising. The people of God are rising. Father, we just thank you that through the obedience of one man who was obedient to the Holy Spirit brought an entire revolution to his nation. God, let a revolution begin in our own nation. Let it begin in our own hearts. Let it begin in our own families. Let there there be a healing in our land. Let there be a healing in our families. And Lord, we just thank you. And we just give you praise. We just give you glory. Come on, just just take 30 seconds and pray over your family now. Just pray over them. Just pray over them. If you're not praying, it's not serious to you yet. It's not serious to you yet if you're not praying. You got to be praying. Nehemiah begin to seek God. Nehemiah begin to call out to God. God, I need a plan. God, I need a strategy. God, I need some wisdom. just take 10 seconds and thank you for the plan Lord I thank you even in the midnight hour you'll speak to us